3: Aha, now we turn our Rabbit KMOX at your service thoughts to a favorite subject of, I guess, most everyone food. Wonderful food. Our favorite foodie is here to talk about. I I don't think she's a foodaholic, but you never know. Uh, Her name is Suzanne Corbett. Hi, Suzanne. Welcome. Hey, Rabbit. And you know what? I am a foodaholic. But you know, (laughs) back in the days, they used to call us gourmands. Oh, yes. I, funny, I was just listening this morning, early morning, to um, the, uh, I, I can't remember the whole name of the show, Nero Wolfe, an old radio program that starred Sidney Greenstreet, and he's described in the show, in, in the introduction, as the gargantuan gourmet. Which, <laughs>
0: well, he would have been more of a gargantuan gourmand, because gourmands <laughs> yeah. love, love to eat, right, That would have been and- him.
3: That's him. Now, now, what about your dining delights so far this weekend? Uh, anything uh, outstanding? Any what, I, that you've been or that you prepared? Oh, dining delight! You know, I discovered
0: one of the, the what, what's going to be the the hot new picnic place. I think picnic. Uh, it's out in Caudleville, and it's being uh, the the new uh, the the new take called. La Champs de la Flores, which is the the recreation, the new branding of what uh, Stone Soup Cottage Oh, yeah, was.
3: that was a great place. And they're
0: doing a wonderful job. Chef Carl out there and Nancy McConnell, they are taking the classic French picnic and upped it huh. by a thousand points in their beautiful new facility with it is just surrounded by flowers. It's actually an old, the the old stone uh, soup cottage, but Mm -hmm. it has expanded out and is now providing these beautiful picnics that you can go in and and just enjoy a a classic fare with wine, beautiful surroundings, of course, with lovely flowers, because that's what Chantilly means it's the uh-huh. uh, the garden of uh, flowers, the field of of flowers, uh-huh. and uh, they are just it, it's going to knock it out of the park, absolutely knock it out of the park. And another interesting spot that I, I that I returned to this just this past week. The Muni is open again, yep. and the Culver Pavilion is once again open for. For dinner before the show, and Chef Joe Wilson out there is doing a great job putting his charcuterie boards together, oh. which is a little something different than what they've done in the past. They don't have the uh, bountiful buffet like they did, they've scaled it down a little bit, but it's working very well and it's getting well received by the patrons.
3: Now, that only goes on when the music uh, Muni is on, right? It's not it the, only goes on while it. the
0: muni's on. You know, hmm. it's sort of like picnics. Yep. You have to take advantage of great weather and also the show that's going to be going on. Uh, and I think the last the show will be Sisters Act. And that ends, I believe, the second week of August, oh, something so you like that. will a lot
3: that. of time. I, well, uh, right now, uh, it's Beauty and the Beast. I believe, is that what's there? And no, I've, I've lost track of what's there. And I know yeah. chess is coming up. And I don't know what chess is about, but it might be interesting. It should be. When but we talk, right now,
0: Beauty and the Beast was great, and of yeah. course, you want to be your guest with all those wonderful dishes that they dance around. <laughs> Although my plates on my table oh. do not dance around.
3: Well, when we talked last week, you were very busy, as you always are, writing something. What What were you writing? What What uh, where do you write? Uh, as far as uh, are, are there blogs, are there websites, or magazines, or where would we find your articles?
0: Well, you can find my art articles almost uh, anywhere you pick up a gazelle, or online. Oh yeah! You can also check what I'm doing. Once in a while, I pop up on the Post Dispatch, uh, also on West News Magazine, Mid Rivers News Magazine, AAA. Uh, I am, I'm, I'm out there trying to. Uh, Feed the world with with good food ideas and recipes. You,
3: first and thing such. you mentioned, and, and I'm sure a lot of people don't know what it is, and I haven't seen it for a long, years. Actually, Gazelle. What is that?
0: Gazelle is a magazine that is uh, printed here. Uh, it's it's mostly online now. It's mm-hmm. uh, well once in a while they'll will do a special print issue, but online Gazelle STL, and it is all about the. Uh, living greatly large and beautiful and taking advantage of all the great things that are in St. Louis, from theater to food to fashion to just the latest happenings that are in town. And it's a great way to stay
3: informed. Sure. Do you you use artificial intelligence in your writing at all or in your research?
0: (laughs) No, I wish I could. But, but the uh, internet, the uh, artificial intelligence doesn't think the way I do. So therefore, I prefer writing my own stuff.
3: Yeah. Well, I do too.
0: I, well, no, I truly do. But you know, it is having an effect on the food world because it is taking a lot of information and using it for the good. Really, with trying to decide with these larger companies on how to recreate recipes different products. A good example is Campbell's Soup mm-hmm. was able to collect the data that this intelligence has been able to collect through its surveys and and online and uh, voice recognition uh, to decide what kind of uh, ingredients to add to the next new thing they want to pull out into the marketplace, hmm. such as a spicy ghost pepper chicken soup. Ghost pepper? Ghost pepper. What is that? Well, it's a, it, well. ghost pepper is like one of the hottest Cascadian hot peppers you can mm, eat. Oh, boy. But artificial intelligence through these surveys and online data collected on on what you're buying and what your, your preferences are was able to track the track that trend on that spicy food the hot foods and they were able then to take that and incorporate it into discovering and creating new recipes and new products and that's where i'm seeing your artificial intelligence that ai coming into play i mean you're still going to see those robots running around the uh, supermarket i think and some of them are getting Kind of even scary looking. They have put eyes on them and stuff. I know. And it's just kind of uh, un- 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 unnerving at times, but that's okay, I uh, guess. Now I, what about you know, it's just,
3: artificial intelligence at restaurants? I know White Castle is using it, of all places.
0: They are, and, and so has been the CKE or, or uh, Hardee's mm-hmm. company, uh, and, and they have been taking this and, and using it as a, once again as a means to uh, uh, try to better their service. Mm. But there's you know, it's a double edged sword. It is. You can have AI as a tool to have better ordering, to for for inventory, to, to track what your customers are, are wanting, but at the same time it's eliminating jobs. Yes. And and, and that's a real concern too. And Particularly with food, I'm not sure if I want to have a robot or or a um, menu board to talk to me and for for me to just punch my my order in. Part of this is I want to have the interaction with a live person because there's. Something about food that just demands that, interaction with another human being, mm-hmm. you want to enjoy that food. You want to enjoy the 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 interaction it takes to order it, to have it served, uh, to even explore what I want to eat. My uh, that AI is not going to tell me. Oh, gee whiz! I think maybe I've got something new today you'd like to try. Um, I miss
3: that. I think I could miss that. Yeah. Now, no, no, your books. I'm, well, the, my uh, book that I've just been looking at uh, last week of yours, Unique Eats and Eateries of St. Louis, and I was honored to pen the introduction to it. Uh, and that's been, uh, out I believe, six years, hasn't it? Oh,
0: yes, it has been. So uh, it had 99 of my top picks. Unfortunately, I think it's kind of whittled down to about 80 now because we've lost a few. Right. So it's time to re-up that book and, right. and, and and get a few things. But one of my favorite spots within the book and in my very first book is Soulard Market, and that's a farm market. And I love these farm markets, and particularly now, because back in the day, you only had farm markets that were just centrally located like Lard Market, mm-hmm. or you had to go out in the country, there might be a, a market out there. But you had roadside stands. When oh, I was sure. a kid, we had a roadside stand, because hmm. I grew up on a South County truck farm.
3: That's interesting. Now, where, what about produce today, as far as— uh... You know, I go to some stores, and the produce looks like it's out of date and not ready for uh, human consumption anymore. Where do you find the best produce? So would it be a Soolard Market? Would it be a farmer's market? Are there independent stores, or it would it be an Aldi's or uh Or what do you suggest?
0: Well, one of the best places to find the best produce probably would be in your backyard if you planted some yourself. You'd have but, to but if do you that. haven't, yes. you you want to try to look for farm markets. That have a great um, a, a great source of real farmers, not somebody who is just recycling a lot of stuff from produce row. Oh, yeah. So uh-huh. real farmers, farm markets, and then the smaller regions such as Tower Grove has one, Shenton oh, yeah. has one, Maplewood. All of these markets have have, have popped up, but you want to look for farmers that actually can say, "Yes, I grew this." And it was picked
3: today. And that's when you're going to have the best tasting uh-huh. produce, uh, particularly corn. Oh, boy. Hey, can you Just had some delicious corn. I'll, I'll tell you about what it was with. It was with a Weddington hot dog. Do you remember Weddington hot dogs?
0: No, okay. I don't, but tell me about it. I
3: will. Is it take... as good as a
0: Chicago dog?
3: Uh-uh. I'll take a break. You know, it's St. Louis. And we'll get right back to Suzanne Corbin in just a few minutes. If you can wait. In the meantime, are you going to be having a snack while you're waiting? or? Uh, no, I don't think so. Oh, okay, all right. Well, we'll be right back. We're at your service. It's Johnny Rabbit. We're on KMOX.
0: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers
2: You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois.
3: Go ahead and say it and do it, too. Okay, uh, Suzanne Corbett, we were just talking about the Wethington Hot Dog. Now here, yeah. this is very simple. Yeah. Wethington. Oh, and I can't remember his first name. I should know that. But uh, Wethington had a hot dog stand on uh, Hampton. Actually, it was uh, before KMOX was uh, across the street on on Hampton Avenue. And then they moved out to uh, Maplewood, uh, Maplewood, and uh, oh gosh, uh, Bellevue. On the, I think it became a pizza place. But the, and they also had a place in um, Pope's Seven Kitchens in South County Center where they had the Wethington hot dog. All it is hot dog of your choice. I, I personally like Hebrew National, but any hot dog will do. And you steam the hot dog and you steam the buns. I will probably just use bunny bread buns. And you get sweet pickle relish on it and grated cheddar cheese and chopped fresh tomatoes as little pieces and little snippets of iceberg lettuce, French's mustard, celery salt. And you've got a Wellington hot dog that's just out of this world, but it has to have all those ingredients. You can't miss any of them.
0: Oh, man, that sounds good, except I'd have to do without the tomatoes, though, because okay. I was raised on that truck farm. Tomatoes were the cash crop. I can't stand a tomato today. <laughs>
3: oh, and that's true. What a it's,
0: change. It's just one of those things. Oh. But, you know, one of the best hot dogs I like yes. was the ones we grill out at Jefferson Barracks Park during the J.V. Blast. It's coming up this Friday. Oh, what is it? Um, and those this? are just it's just their grill, just over old fashioned charcoal, oh. and just hit it with some relish and some mustard, and off you go, and it's really good. Nice. And, and well. we raise funds to help the uh, support and preservation of Jefferson Barracks historic site. When is that okay, going to uh, be? When is that? That's going It's our free concert on Friday at Jefferson Barracks at the amphitheater, and at the end of the concert there'll be fireworks. And there's also has what they have uh, called their food truck row, which I believe there's almost a dozen trucks. I believe we might have competition this year with with uh, uh, a truck that's going to have hot dogs, but uh, that's okay, too. There'll be plenty of dogs and all kinds of other stuff for people. Or if you don't want to purchase a dog, you can bring your own food in with it, your cooler, and just enjoy a free time out complements of St. Louis County Parks.
3: That's that's very nice. I'm just uh, coming in today just past the Campbell House Museum. Now, you've got a book about their recipes.
0: Oh, the Campbell House is a very special place for me. Uh, The Gilded Table that talks about uh, all the recipes of Virginia Campbell, who was the mistress of the house, wife of Robert, who was a a businessman, a fur trapper. uh, Oh, my goodness. He was one of the, what I call the Bill Gates of the 19th century. He was very, wow. very involved with so many different things. But his wife was considered the uh, hostess with the most in St. Louis. And mm-hmm. her table was actually set with beautiful china and dishes and uh, just wines and all the wonderful things. And uh, this time of year, you'd want to have what's called the Roman punch, which was what we call their signature uh, recipe of the house, which is like a champagne slushie. And that's a very refreshing thing to have on a 100-degree
3: temperature day. And to see that house, too, to go there and see all of that original stuff that's from when she was alive. It's amazing. That's right.
0: Right. From the 1860s and 70s. It's it's one of the most complete culinary uh, collections in the country. I mean, we know exactly... How things were served thanks to the records that the family kept. We mm-hmm. we know where they did their grocery shopping. We know what kind of wines they drank, oh. what whiskey they had. They saved the corks. We found them in the basement oh,
3: when they renovated the house. And That's it was amazing.
0: It's fascinating. That's uh, a fascinating story.
3: But do you collect book, cookbooks?
0: Well, I have over a 1,000 hardbound.
3: Uh, you collect so, cookbooks? Yeah, I do. Where, where do yeah you, I do. where do you get them? I mean, everywhere? Do you go to sales or individuals?
0: Well, I've been collecting them for for decades, rabbit. Uh-huh. And you know, someone said, "Don't you have enough cookbooks?" And I say, "Never, never, never. I never have enough cookbooks Gosh. because there's there's social history. If, if you want to learn about people in a town or a region, grab a local cookbook or a cookbooks of the era because it can you, you can learn so much about who the people were, their background, what they liked. And how they partied and just how they lived their daily lives. Nice. A good example for that is, is some of the, the earlier colonial books and recipes that survive. Right now, I'm working on an event that'll be held in September that'll focus on French colonial foods in huh. celebration of the. Uh, um, the 300th anniversary of Juliet coming down the Mississippi. So that's
3: going to be a lot of fun. Too. Gosh, that is. You do so many great things. Thank you. And thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. And I'm glad you didn't come to the studio because <laughs> there. Are, if you watch television to say, does that look like a big crowd? I don't think I've ever seen a bigger crowd downtown. It's, it's, it's <laughs> phenomenal.
0: Well, gee whiz, we should have come down and opened a hot dog
3: stand. Uh, Yeah, yeah, That would have been a great idea. (laughs) As always, it's great to talk with you, Suzanne. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Rabbit. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Suzanne Corbett, Uh, we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back with a head guy from Oasis. A lot of people know about Oasis, and, you know, it's one of those things that there are probably a lot of people who don't know about Oasis. What the heck does it mean? What did it stand for? Uh, how long has it been around? And what does Oasis do that you can be involved with? We'll talk to Paul Weiss, the president of Oasis, in the next few minutes. And we'll hear from Peter Mayer. Uh, you heard his voice for so many years in KMOX is the CBS White House correspondent. We'll return. We're at your service. And this is KMOX. Now with the MLB
1: app, you can get baseball your way.
3: Here we are, Johnny Rabbit, we're at your service. Paul Weiss is with us. He is the guiding light, so to speak, of OASIS, an organization created, in their own words, to promote the quality of life of older adults. Paul, welcome. How are you?
2: Johnny Rabbit, how are you? I am thank fine. Thank you so much for having me.
3: Well, of course, thank you for taking the time to do it, to tell us more about OASIS. And, and what did OASIS stand for originally? It's not used anymore, but was so, he? At, at, at one
2: point there was an acronym, and it's. I think the acronym was forced upon it. <laughs> so hmm. we have we have, we have tried to move away. and Just be Oasis, and and we, uh, in every city we're in, we're at St. Louis Oasis, or Syracuse Oasis, or Rochester oh. Oasis, or San Diego Oasis, and we identify by the cities that we are in. Those St. Louis is the national headquarters, and it's where we were founded by St. Louis, and Maryland man, forty-one years ago.
3: Oh my gosh, that's a lot. I remember. Uh, yeah. Doing uh, lectures there. One was uh, in kind of downtown and famous bar in an upstairs room or two. That's right. So the
2: was originally in St. Louis uh, in a partnership between the May department stores, and we uh, we expanded nationwide as part of uh, the community benefit and community space partner in May department stores. Now we now May sold the Federated in the, in the uh, beginning of this century, and we uh, we have many other partners now. And we operate outside of that departmental relationship. But that's how we began in St. Louis.
3: And you're from St. Louis. I am originally
2: from St. Louis. I was away for about 25 years. I was in California. I was in New York. I was in Pennsylvania. Then I came back to care for my aging parents. And the, the Oasis mission of you know, lifelong adventure for older adults and getting older adults to expand the footprint of their lives and their social connections through lifelong learning programs, uh, volunteering like our tutoring program, technology literacy, I had tremendous uh, pull for me, especially, like I to care for my parents during these uh, more tender uh, years of their, of their life as they aged. So it was... Uh, it was a, it was synergistic and and somewhat serendipity that uh, both coming back here and the discovery of this opening what sure. happened at the same time.
3: Well, Paul Weiss, what about uh, people who say, okay, this sounds really good? Well, how do you do it? How do you find out about it? There, there's a catalog. It's on the internet. I'm sure.
2: There's a catalog. I mean, the easiest way is is you don't have to be in St. Louis to participate in Oasis. You can go to our national website, which is uh, www.oasisnet.com dot org, OasisNet is one word, o a s i s n e t dot O R G. And then you can pull down uh, on the front page, there's all our Oasis Center locations, and you can in St. Louis is one of them. Or if you're you're not convenient to St. Louis or any of our other cities, we have a, a huge array of virtual classes for OASIS everywhere. And we have uh, participants in exercise classes, lifelong learning, technology literacy and more, all uh, all online and all live, and hmm. they're they're sourced from every one of our centers throughout the country, from our best instructors.
3: And you've got some great instructors on your list, and you've got some great uh, people working in your office, and you also have a lot of great volunteers. I imagine you always need volunteers.
2: We always need volunteers. We need volunteers for, obviously, our intergenerational literacy tutoring program. We have, pre-pandemic, we had about 2,500 literacy tutors working in 27 school districts throughout wow. the metro area and, uh, and 4,500 tutors nationally. Post-pandemic, we lost a lot of our tutoring population, but we're building it back up. The demand from schools exceeds the number of tutors, so if you have any interest to an older adult in, in engaging with kids in a mentorship capacity, we will train you how to be a reading tutor. Um, you get to work with kids in K through fourth grade, build all these relationships within schools. It's a tremendous way to give back to the community and uh, we also need uh, volunteers to teach classes if that's something that you're passionate about we have a way for you to share it with others if you we need volunteers for our health programs trained as uh, as leaders for community based health programs you can become a, a health education expert and obviously we need volunteers to do things like uh, just work in our office and and help us coordinate classes and, uh, and and engage with with the older adults we serve so we we operate uh, relatively frugally because we have so much volunteer firepower delivering the Oasis mission in all these different ways.
3: What are your thoughts, Paul, about the future of artificial intelligence? And is that being done with Oasis? Are you having any programs about that? Are people asking about it? So
2: a big component of what we have done the last almost 20 years now is technology literacy education. We have Oasis Connections as this very large multi-course curriculum. And one of the things we've been talking about lately is you know how do we use? Uh, how do we start teaching people about artificial intelligence? The truth is, it's somewhat intimidating. The older adults are naturally uh, sort of skeptical or intimidated or feel alienated by new technology. But a lot of it's fairly easy to use. Uh, one of the things that we have been uh, developing new program planning for is. Uh, creating opportunities for growth in the new economy. And we think teaching people how to use AI tools will be a part of that. Mm-hmm. And as we develop this sort of workforce development uh, aspect of our lifelong learning programs, uh, teaching people how to use uh, language models like chat GPT, how to write prompts, those sorts of things as shortcuts to uh, creating text, to blogging, to even creating uh, marketing content. We think that's a very important skill set. And we don't think it's a very high bar to learn. Older adults are more likely to feel intimidated by this sort of technology, but they shouldn't. Um, it's, uh, it's very learnable.
3: Good. And find out more from Oasis. Well, Paul, thank you, Paul Weiss. I hope to talk to you again soon in KMOX and maybe see you in person at one of your events. I hope you will as well. Thank you so much. John. We appreciate it. Thank you, Paul. This is Johnny Rabbit. My next Oasis program, incidentally, is called Checking In, a history of hotels and motels in St. Louis, mostly about hotels. That's going to be Thursday, July 27th, from 1030 to noon at the center of Clayton. Thursday, July 27th, hotels. Check in on it. Uh, you can do that by visiting stloasis.org. Uh, a couple of recent AI-themed novels are Baron Cove, if you want to read about AI. A novel, Baron Cove, by Ariel Winter. Another one is The Mother Code by Carol Stivers. But the actual factual, not fictional AI came into being with uh, Alan Turing's work Computer Machinery and Intelligence, in which he created the Turing Test. and this happened between the years of 1950 and 1956. Happening in just a couple of minutes, we'll have Peter Mayer from CBS News on the air at KMOX. Now, KMOX at your service. With yours truly, Johnny Rabbit, we take pride in presenting the continuing adventures of Peter Mayer, starring, of all people, Peter Mayer. Peter Mayer himself, he's here right now. Well, he's not really here right now, but he's somewhere right now. Peter, where are you, anyway?
1: I am in the greater Washington, D.C. area and just excited to blab it to the rabbit.
3: <laughs> Thank you, Peter. Uh, <laughs> Very much. Um, you know, when I think of you, um, I often when I hear, a, I'm always listening to old music. A 1948 song, You Came a Long Way from St. Louis, which was on Peggy Lee's LP Beauty and the Beast. Uh, it was even on Chuck Berry's album, Chuck Berry in London. But for you, the song title would be You Came a Long Way from Granite City. Isn't that true?
1: That's right. I am a proud native of Granite City, Illinois, Johnny, a, a member of the, the class of 19 or them that. Yeah,
3: <laughs> See, that's that's the way to do it. Uh, we I were talking to uh, Jordan Palmer earlier of uh, the, the Morning Light website. He mentioned some of your work has been honored by a museum in Washington, D.C. What what is that museum?
1: Well, uh, I've been involved in several museums. This is the latest. Uh, it is the, uh, the Capitol Jewish Museum. Mm-hmm. And uh, they asked me a couple of years ago when they were building it, Johnny, uh, if I had any mementos that I'd like to contribute. And I gave them a number of things that, frankly, I thought would be of real interest to them. The uh, program from the Camp David Accords that uh, President Carter signed on the White House lawn, I was there. When he signed that with Prime Minister Begin of Israel and uh, Anwar Sadat of Egypt, uh, that is still in their archives, I'm told. Hmm. They chose to put uh, three press passes from a trip that I made to uh, Israel, Saudi Arabia, and Jordan with President George W. Bush. Wow. So that is on display there, and that's why... uh, I say I am a museum relic.
3: <laughs> and you mentioned other museums, too. What are the others?
1: Well, I've, uh, actually, just one other comes to mind immediately, and I've, I've donated a number of things to the Clinton Presidential Library in um, Little Rock. And also, I've been in touch with a number of the people at the George H.W. Bush Presidential Library in College Station, Texas. I visited uh, there a couple of times and actually visited with President Bush there uh, many years ago.
3: Hmm, that's great. Now, do you, do you still have recordings of your work, uh, digital or tapes or cassettes or whatever and scripts?
1: Way too many for my wife.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling.
1: Uh, you do. I know because, I, you know, I, Mrs. Rabbit is also a good friend of mine. <laughs> that's
3: true that she is. So what are you going to do with all these things?
1: Well, you know, right now they are uh, in on shelves and in cardboard boxes. I'm trying to uh, put some, not trying to, I'm working on putting some of my memories together for the grandkids. And, uh, so okay. that's, that's where they stand. Yeah.
3: Are you going to do a book, write a book about your career? Are you? Well, on to the next <laughs> question then.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I have it, you know, stored in my computer, a lot of these memories Sure. and I know you do too. Yes. And I hear from high school friends of mine so often, uh, especially uh, a friend of mine who may be listening today in Granite City, uh, Marcia Galloway Chomko, who is always after me to write to write a book. So uh, maybe one of these days I'll uh, be able to put all of this together. I hope it happens. Can't, would... can't put it off, that's for sure, right?
3: Uh, that's for sure. When did you decide to retire?
1: Um, I retired from CBS News in 2015. Uh, oh you goodness. know, I just decided that... Uh, I'd done enough trips, Mm -hmm. I'd gotten up at 4.30 in the morning for 20-some-odd years to be at the White House by 6 o'clock in the morning, and uh, it was just time for someone else to uh, take the reins of the CBS News uh, White House booth.
3: What are some of your early jobs, like, for example, uh, coming to the uh, Mutual Broadcasting System?
1: Right. Well, you know, as you know, I, I started at WGNU in Granite City, And uh, you hired me at Casey in St. Louis. That's true. Uh, My first real solid news experience came at the old WIBV radio in Belleville, uh, working there with uh, Norman Greenberg and some really fine people over the years. And um, then I I went on to to Nashville, worked at an all-news CBS station there, and to uh, WSB in Atlanta, where I covered Jimmy Carter. Oh, my. And that's, uh, you know, he was the governor of Georgia then. And to answer your question, that's when uh, Mutual Radio came calling, Mm -hmm. the now defunct Mutual Radio. And they were looking for someone who was familiar with Jimmy Carter. And I had covered him as governor. And they brought me to Washington for an audition and uh, worked for them for over 20 years. And then uh, I really got the, the huge break of my career other than the time that you hired me, of course. Yeah, of
3: course, of course. And
1: went to uh, went to CBS, and uh, that was really just the crowning glory. And just to know that I was on KMOX and WBBM in Chicago, WCBS in New York, and so many of the stations that meant so much to me as I was coming along in the business.
3: Now, was Tony Marvin on Mutual when you were there?
1: No, no, that, that was part of the history of the place.
3: How about Gabriel Heater?
1: <laughs> Come on.
3: There's good news tonight. I can there's remember a good, him. Eight fifteen, 15 right. KWK on Mutual. Well,
1: Absolutely.
3: Oh, my gosh. Have you done any television work?
1: You know, I did a little bit at, at uh, CBS. Uh, there's, you know, at that time, and, and still to a certain extent, although my successor, Stephen Portnoy, has done a certain amount of TV. But, yeah, I was on, uh, on TV a, a couple of times on breaking stories for CBS.
3: Now, what about your predecessor? Who was that?
1: My predecessor at CBS. At, at CBS oh, boy. Um, I would have to, uh, you know, you stumped me on okay, that. okay. That's all right. <laughs> okay. I, yeah, I, I don't, you know, I mean, there were there, a, a lot of the TV correspondents were also doing radio uh-huh. uh, before I got there. Um, my best friend was the late Bill Plant, who oh, yeah. uh, was a Chicago boy, and Bill was just a very dear man. We lost him a couple of years ago to cancer but uh, just, a, a terrific, just a terrific human being all the way around. So we traveled the world together, and Bill continued to do radio, but mostly TV.
3: Now, what about your start? Uh, was your original career go media, radio, TV, or had you planned to do something else?
1: Well, you know, I, I sent you a picture not too long ago of a record that I have. It's a, uh, a small disc that was recorded at Keel Auditorium at a, the old St. Louis Home Show. And the record label reads KMOX, the voice of St. Louis. And Rex Davis interviewed me when I was about seven years old. (laughs) And he said, hi there, young man. What do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I want to be a reporter.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's great. I, I do remember that photograph. Matter of fact, I'll be using that in a... Uh, presentation I'm doing, I can't remember the date, in December, that I hope you can make it to the Missouri History Museum on a history of St. Louis radio and television. So thank you for sending that. Oh,
1: out. I'm so flattered. Thank you, Johnny. Of
3: course. What about a podcast? Have you have you ever done any podcasting? Or are you interested in that?
1: You know, CBS was just getting into that when I, uh, when I retired. So I did do, you know, some of that and a number of things for CBSNews.com when it was sort of in its infancy, uh, right now, no, I have not done any recently. Um, you know, so no.
3: Sure. Uh, there was an article, I, I may have sent this to you last week, about a radio show in Portland, Oregon that is completely hosted by an AI voice. Radio and TV stations, program syndicators, streaming services, networks, movie studios. Almost without exception, are experimenting with AI. Planning to do so. A major reason for the WGA Writers Guild of America strike, and of great concern to the union we are both in, SAG-AFTRA Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. So, what do you think? You think we're going to have all AI radio sometime?
1: Well, I think some stations will do that to save money. Yes. You and I both remember when automation first came into play for radio stations. I remember driving uh, down to Hannibal, and there was a, an FM station there that you know, was totally automated, and this was back in the 1960s. But you know, in terms of AI, Johnny, you know, there's so many intriguing and concerning things about artificial intelligence. And like so many others, and, and your friend from Oasis talking about it, I'm still learning uh, about this booming technology. You know, it's used to create video uh, images and text and audio. And just over the past week or so, did, did you talk about Paul McCartney's announcement yet? No, I did not. You know, he, he, he announced that, uh, th- that he newly discovered some Beatles material mm-hmm. in his archives, and it's going to be released uh, at what's being billed as the last Beatles oh, yeah. record.
3: I did mention that, right? the last record.
1: Yeah, yeah, using AI. Yeah, that, And that's... they pulled John Lennon's voice from an old demo track. And McCartney himself described it as, quote, kind of scary, but exciting. And he said, we'll just have to see where this leads. And I think, you know, in, in so many ways, it, it's exciting. It's intriguing. But I got to tell you, there are just some aspects of it that I personally am really worried about. Yeah, Me
3: too. Now, what, did, what about the presidential election? It's not that far off. How is AI going to fit into this?
1: Well, you know, I think that this is going to be a new era of dirty tricks. Uh, Politics, one of my favorite subjects. I covered, oh my goodness, every campaign from 76 until Barack Obama. And I I think it's a safe bet that artificial intelligence is going to be a big part of the 2024 campaign, Johnny, and a threat to spread uh, misinformation in our already polarized country. Some of the campaigns have already produced some videos uh, using AI, and we're going to need a lot more than a sharp eye, I think, to see it for what it really is. Um, I'm I'm real big on this term, media literacy, where we have to know the sources of the news that we get. It's so easy to click on, you know, uh, clickbait uh, online, something that looks intriguing, but you have to look real closely to make sure that it's coming from a a reputable source, Uh, but... As you know, there's a publication called The Hill, which is a real reputable chronicler of, of things in, in D.C., and in an online story in the past couple of weeks, they reported that Florida Governor DeSantis's presidential campaign released an ad that used AI-produced images showing his main rival, although he doesn't mention him by name very often, Donald Trump, mm-hmm. embracing Dr. Anthony Fauci, who's sort of a a boogeyman for certain elements uh... in the country i personally happen to think he's an american hero myself but uh... the hill reported uh... that the trump side has already posted what was described as a deep fake video of Desantis. Huh. so turnabout is fair play or unfair play depending on where you stand right. but look the the stage is set for new types of old-fashioned dirty tricks and i think you know we're going to see it on both sides from democrats and republicans as this thing unfolds.
3: It will be something to see. Have you written any articles about this? Do you publish any or send it like The Hill or other publications?
1: No, I have not. And I, as I say, I am just learning about this AI. Uh, as you, you, you gave a really great history lesson about how long it has really been around. All right. But, uh, you know, we, we really have to ask ourselves if the specter of AI-generated images are, are going to turn off even more voters and, and hurt democracy in the long run.
3: Wow, thanks, Peter Mayer A lot simpler back when I was managing KC And you were there as a KC DJ And you, thank you for doing it I got to introduce the first progressive rock concert in St. Louis (laughs) I sure did It was Cream at the Keele Opera House uh, And the tickets at that point were stunning $3, $4, and $5 Now, Peter, do you remember how you introduced them?
1: I introduced them exactly as you told me to (laughs) <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Cream.
3: <laughs> Things were simple. I walked simpler. out on that stage at Kiel
1: Auditorium, and I think, "What is this kid from Granite City doing here?" You know, get me to the arena. Let me see the police circus. <laughs> yeah, <You know? laughs>
3: right. uh, that's great. A great memory. A great concert too. Uh, yeah, it's um, you know, it's, it's hard to believe how inexpensive everything was when uh, we sponsored uh, Cream. Uh, they, their cost was three thousand dollars. Oh my! And it cost us fifteen hundred dollars to rent the Kiel Opera House. So, no. Yeah, things have changed. Well, Peter, let's meet again on the radio or wherever in a few weeks and update on other topics. And I hope you do come to St. Louis sooner than later and drop in for a visit too.
1: Well, you'll you'll you will see me not too uh, in the not too distant future, and I'll be in touch with you on that. But uh, if I were there right now, I would right now. Uh, be heading over to Ted Drew's for that Johnny Rabbit concoction of chocolate-covered uh, cherry concrete.
3: You got it. Thank you. I've, I've, thank you for an unsolicited commercial from Peter Mayer. Thanks a lot, Peter, very much.
1: Thank you, Johnny. I love you. Bye-bye. Thank
3: you. Bye. And last week I mentioned to my physical therapist, Kara Ringkamp of SSM Health, and I was doing a show that would in part be about AI, and she suggested watching a British TV series called Black Mirror. I had never heard of it, and I don't know if I'm happy that I have heard of it, but Black Mirror, nonetheless, it's on Netflix. It's about what they call speculative fiction and future sci-fi technology, and she justifiably warned that the 27-episode series, which is based on the Twilight Zone, is a dark, deeply disturbing, and downright scary program. I watched a little of it and she was right. It is very frightening. I think I'll stick with radio shows like the little Dimension X and TV shows like One Step Beyond with John Newland and, of course, some of the old books that kind of hint on the things that are that have gone on, like H.G. Wells, The Shape of Things to Come. Well, that's it for today for yours truly, Johnny Rabbit at At Your Service. I'll be back next Sunday, not for an At Your Service show, uh, but we'll be doing... A, a little feature as we do, thanks to Scott the Romer J. Gow. And normally on Sunday morning, because of the early baseball game, we weren't on this morning. It's at eight fifty a.m. and lasts about five six minutes. And we're going to talk about some of the interesting things that have happened in St. Louis on Independence Day over the years, such events as the uh, dedication of Eads Bridge, and the first VP Fair, and a lot more. Well, I have to acknowledge a a couple of letters I got that I will not forget to get back to these people. David Adams of Chippewa uh, in southwest St. Louis, and a really interesting uh, letter from Tom Raber uh, in St. Louis, uh, talking about uh, his voice and uh, how to how to use your voice for uh, various things. He was talking about being doing on a commercial one time, and how the announcer worked the microphone, so to speak. That's it for me. This is yours truly, Johnny Rabbit, on KMOX. We really need new phones.
1: T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's over here. Only at
2: T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Mm-hmm.